Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Come Follow Me Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be lesson number 40. It's going to be covering 3rd Nephi 20 to 26 and will be for the time period October 12th through the 18th. So there's a lot of material in here, so this is this might be a long one. We'll see how it goes. Third uh, Nephi chapter 20. Um, Jesus has been with the Nephites and has uh, shown him shown them his uh, hands and feet, and they've been able to handle him. He's had the sacrament. They've gone home, and they've um, they've come again the second day. Um, and so now we're beginning to to see what happens here. He he uh, has the sacrament. Uh, so now there's a whole bunch more people that have come. Um, and so he's bringing the sacrament to them in verse 9 it says that when the multitude had all eaten and drunk behold they were filled with the spirit and they did cry out with one voice and gave glory to Jesus whom they both saw and heard uh, and so now we have uh, Jesus uh, administering the sacrament among the Nephites again the second time uh, that gives those that, that hadn't been there the day before an opportunity to receive the sacrament from the Savior um, Jesus then uh, continues to talk about faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, gives some prophecies about, uh, uh, in verse 16, Then shall ye who are a remnant of the house of Jacob go forth among them, meaning the Gentiles, in the last days. Ye shall be in the midst of them who shall be many, and ye shall be among them as a lion among the beasts of the forest. Now there's a lot of people that, that think that he's talking specifically here about those Lamanites, the remnant of Lehi, but he says the remnant of Jacob, which means that it's all of the tribes of Israel. Um, the tribes of Israel that become members of the church will be those that will uh, thrash the nations, that will go forth and, and perform mighty miracles among the Gentiles to, uh, and, and will cause many to be converted and, and uh, that they will be the ones to, to go through and tread down and so on, which is symbolic and figurative in, in nature. He mentions in verse uh, 21, It shall come to pass that I will establish my people, O house of Israel, and behold, this people, meaning the Nephites, uh, those descendants from Lehi, will I establish in this land under the fulfilling of the covenant which I made with your father Jacob, and it shall be a new Jerusalem, and the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of this people, yea, even I will be in the midst of you. So here he's talking about in the last days that uh, the descendants of Lehi will also be among the members of the church, uh, and he's talking here about uh, the new Jerusalem. Now we know that New Jerusalem is going to be the center place, uh, center, uh, a center city which shall be built up and established as the headquarters of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Its location will be Independence, Jackson County, Missouri. Uh, as our article of faith states, we believe that Zion, the New Jerusalem, will be built upon the American continent. So Zion, the New Jerusalem, on American soil, and we will, we will hasten to add, so also shall there be Zions in all lands. And this is by Bruce R. McConkie. But the main capital city of the church is going to end up being in Jackson County, Missouri. In verse 24, he mentions that all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have testified of Christ. 
he mentions in 25 that, uh, that these people that he's talking to are the children of the prophets, that they are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that they're entitled to the covenants uh, because they are children of the covenant. And so they're, they're, they're the ones being blessed here by the Savior. The rest of the chapter also talks about the gathering of Israel and that they'll come from, from everywhere, that they'll be gathered together. And then in chapter 21, he says, uh, in verse 1, he says, I'm gonna sh I, I give unto you a sign that ye may know the time when these things shall be about to take place, that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people. So he's going to tell us here uh, when the gathering of Israel is going to start. And then in verse 2, he says, This is the thing which I have given unto you for a sign. For verily I say unto you that these things, when these things, which I declare unto you, in other words, the Book of Mormon that uh, is being uh, prepared by the Nephites and which will be translated by Joseph Smith and which we have today, uh, which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, um, when these things come, uh, verse 3, when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father unto you, uh, for its wisdom that they should be established, that these things might come forth unto a remnant of your seed. Um, continuing on, down in verse 7, uh, when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know these things, it shall be a sign unto them, that they may know that the work of the Father hath already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant, which he hath made unto, his, unto the people who are of the house of Israel. So when the Book of Mormon begins to come forth, then those that are being gathered can know that the, the gathering has already started. We've, we've printed over 100 million copies of the Book of Mormon and sent them to many nations of the world. And so with the tool of the Book of Mormon, we're beginning to gather even more. In verse, in verse 9, he mentions that there'll be a great and marvelous work done uh, among the Gentiles. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is the coming forth of, in the, of the Latter-day Kingdom that we are part of today. He mentions in verse 10 about his servant that will be in his hand that shall be marred. And we know that Joseph Smith uh, was marred in the sense that he lost 110 pages of the manuscript. Um, but it shows here, it also says, For I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. So he already contemplated the, uh, the loss of the manuscript and provided for it by, um, by having the small plates of Nephi instead. Verse 22 says, If they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them. Now, again, this is uh, descendants of Lehi and also of Israel. They shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. Now, um, Millet McConkie say, Much confusion ensues among some Latter-day Saints because of a narrow reading of certain passages in the Book of Mormon. The phrase remnant of Jacob is not confined wholly to the descendants of Lehi, nor should we limit the Lord or the prophetic word to that interpretation. The remnant of Jacob refers to all the house of Israel. There's also an important concept regarding the city of New Jerusalem. In verse 24, he says, And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in, who are scattered upon all the face of the land, in unto the New Jerusalem. Elder McConkie said, The revealed word relative to the gathering to independence and its environs will come through the prophet of God on earth. The call will not be for the saints in general to assemble there. The return to Jackson County will be by delegates, as it were. Those whose services are needed there will assemble as appointed. The rest of Israel will, will remain in the appointed places. In other words, most of Israel will stay in their appointed places in whatever country Zion's been established in those places, the stakes of Zion. And then in verse 26, he talks about the gathering of Israel from all parts of the earth and that they'll be led, those that were led originally out of Jerusalem and lost, they're, they're also going to be gathered. 
uh, verse 27, shall the work shall commence among all the dispersed of my people with the Father to prepare the way whereby they may come unto me, that they may call on the Father in my name. We know that the gathering isn't just a physical gathering of people to a land, but it's it's the gathering of people into the church, into the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when they're that's when they're truly converted or brought in. Now in chapter 22, um, Jesus is now going to quote from Isaiah chapter 54. And uh, this whole chapter is actually poetry, um, and it's it's also again about the restoration of the gospel and uh, and the blessings uh, upon the people of, of, that join the church. The symbolism here, uh, Elder Holland gave us sort of a synopsis of the chapter. Um, the it's the relationship between the Lord and His children of the covenant is fully seen and poetically uh, written. Uh, he gives a summary as follows. He says verses one through three is where the husband provides the wife with children, and one through three is where Jehovah provides Israel with gathering and great growth. Uh, the husband provides the wife with love in verses four to eight, and mercy and redemption is what Je Jehovah provides Israel. In verses nine and 10, the husband provides the wife with commitment, while Jehovah provides Israel with an unbreakable covenant. 11 and 12 is a material comfort given by the husband to the wife, and Jehovah provides Israel with a splendor in, in a new Jerusalem. Verses 13 to, 9, or 13 to 17, the husband provides the wife with protection for the family, while Jehovah provides Israel with peace, freedom from fear, and oppression for Zion. So it's significant that Jesus is actually going to quote an entire chapter of Isaiah here, uh, keeping in mind that it's interesting that this chapter was quoted in its entirety. Um, however, before quoting it, the Savior outlined what would precede it, and that's chapter 21, and that's about a free nation being raised up in America where the gospel would be restored so we can kind of understand the timing of when these things are going to happen, uh, that it's after America has been established and the Book of Mormon has been sent out. So all of these things are happening after the the restoration of the gospel has begun. And so that's uh, it's helpful to understand the timing of that. In verse 2, he talks about enlarging the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Again, uh, here is some symbolism about the, uh, the stakes of Zion. Uh, the large, Elder Holland said, the large movement of Israel's conversion, gathering and return to the lands of her inheritance, will require strong, enlarged stakes in Zion. Growth will be on the right hand and on the left with Gentile cities poured out, uh, probably left desolate by the wrath poured out without mixture upon the earth. Uh, and so that's uh, some of the things we're talking about here, that uh, the gathering of the saints and of Israel, uh, in spite of the desolation that may be occurring to the Gentiles. And then down to verse 13, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. Here talking about uh, how it will be at the millennium uh, as, as, as the gospel is preached to all the world. And verse 14, in righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come and come near thee. So even before the millennium happens, the saints will be protected. Uh, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall revile against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. It's similar to Joseph Smith's statement that no unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing, uh, which uh, talks about the latter-day work. Uh, chapter 23. Again, uh, the Savior is mentioning in verse 1 to search the words of Isaiah for greater the words of Isaiah. Uh, it's necessary for us to better understand him because uh, the Savior is saying how great the words are of Isaiah that we need to pay close attention to what he said to be, uh, to be understanding, to, to, to read and study his words. 
It mentions in verse 2 that he spake as touching all things concerning his people, concerning my people which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that, they, that he must speak also to the Gentiles. Then down to verse 6, uh, the Savior is finished uh, talking about Isaiah, and then he says um, to Nephi, Bring forth the record which ye have kept, in verse 7. And when Nephi brought forth the record and laid them before him, he cast his eyes upon them. And so he says, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite that he should testify unto this people, that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me, that there should be many saints who should arise from the dead and appear unto many. Uh, was it not so? And his disciples said, Yes. And he says, uh, Then how be it that ye have not written this thing, that many saints did arise? So it came to pass that Nephi remembered that this thing had not been written, and so he takes some time here to write it. So apparently Jesus understood Reformed Egyptian, so he could read the, the record of Nephi here. Uh, but he but he then uh, commands Nephi to take some time here and write down the, the prophecies of, of Samuel the Lamanite so that they're not lost, so that we have them in the book. And then Jesus goes further to explain the more of the scriptures. It says in verse 14 that Jesus had expounded all the scriptures in one which they had written. He commanded them that they should teach the things which he had expounded unto them. And so he's teaching them what to say to their children and, and to their posterity and so on. So then in chapter 24, um, Jesus also notices that uh, they don't have the words of Malachi. Uh, why don't they have the words of Malachi? Well, the Nephites left before Malachi lived. So they didn't even have, uh, they didn't have a chance to have the words of Malachi. So he's going to make sure that they have them in their record. And so he's going to command them to uh, include chapters 3 and 4 of, of Malachi. Now, Malachi is uh, probably not, uh, the words that we have are probably just um, abbreviated passages. Um, they're not uh, complete um, accounts. Let me just give you a couple quotes here. Um, because of the fragmented nature of the material of Malachi 3 and 4, in which a diverse variety of topics is discussed in short, sometimes unconnected segments, this section appears to be a collection of utterances, a quote book, and not a continuous prophecy. Perhaps some of the brief quotations may not even be those of Malachi himself. Um, Elder McConkie suggested that Malachi was quoting specifically from the words of the ancient prophet Zenos, whose writings were contained on the plates of brass but are not found in the Bible as it stands today. And so, uh, anyway, it was important that Jesus felt that the, the Nephites uh, should have the, the record of Malachi, uh, at least a couple chapters out of the book of Malachi, and, uh, and that it would be in the Book of Mormon for us, too. Uh, he then, uh, anyway, chapter 3 and 4 talks about uh, the refiner's fire and the importance of uh, repentance and uh, how judgment will occur to, to everyone and that we need to make sure that uh, we're doing the things we're supposed to. Now, down in verse 8, he talks then about tithes and offerings. We know that uh, tithing uh, is, a, is the law of the gospel and that helps to build the kingdom up. And so we need to do that to, to take part in that. But then offerings also, uh, that fast offerings is also part of the gospel. And we need to make sure that we're paying fast offerings to bless the poor and the needy. One time, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he visited Welfare Square, uh, was taught the principles how we fast for a couple of meals and give the funds or the proceeds of that to help the poor. And he said, if the entire world did this, there'd be no such thing as poor people uh, because everybody would be well taken care of. True that is. Uh, let's go down then to chapter 25. This is Malachi chapter 4. And so this is about the things that are necessary prior to the second coming. So that uh, in verse 1 he says, The day cometh that shall burn as an oven. He's predicting here the, the second coming, and it will happen with a great burning and fire. Um, 
and that it will leave everybody without root or branch unless something happens uh, to make sure that uh, that there's a, a welding together of families so that the whole earth isn't destroyed and that it's brought to naught. Verse 5, he says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And this is important, he says, because it shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Joseph Smith uh, said that it, sh it should be translated, he shall plant in the heart of the fathers to the children. The promise is made to the fathers. Uh, so this is about the welding power, the sealing power that we have today, and that he's mentioning that, uh, that that's going to be necessary <clears throat> for, um, so that the earth isn't, isn't totally wasted at the coming, at the second coming. Now, in, in, in keeping with this prophecy <clears throat> about Elijah, it says Jewish literature is replete with the promise and expectation of Elijah's coming. That is the last promise of the Old Testament in the last verses of Malachi. And it is Jewish tradition that on the second night of Passover, they must leave open the door and place at the head table uh, an empty chair and a goblet full of wine in the expectation that Elijah may come. It is interesting, especially in light of that Jewish tradition, that on April 3rd, 1836, was the second day of Passover. The symbolism is beautiful. Elijah comes, as they expect, to a home. He comes to a goblet of wine, the sacramental wine. He comes to turn hearts, which is more than changing minds. He, he turns hearts to hearts. That was by Truman Madsen. So Elijah did come, as predicted, and he came on April the 3rd of 1836, which was part of Passover. And then in uh, chapter 26, as we conclude for this particular episode, it came to pass that Jesus told them these things. He expanded unto, them, unto the multitude and expanded all these things. And so in verse 2, he said, These scriptures, meaning Malachi 3 and 4, which ye had not with you, the Father commanded that I should give unto you, for it is wisdom in him that they should be given unto future generations. So again, that's uh, for the people of the Book of Mormon and for our day too. Even though it's in the Old Testament, it's necessary that it be put in the Book of Mormon as well as a second witness. At the end of verse 3, he talks about the elements shall melting with fervent heat, shall be melted with fervent heat, meaning that the mountains uh, during the second coming. Uh, let me just read you this from Elder McConkie. He says, when the Lord comes in his glory in flaming fire, that fire will both cleanse the vineyard and burn the earth. In that day, so intense shall be the heat and so universal the burning that, that the very elements of which this earth is composed shall melt. The mountains, high and glorious and made of solid rock, shall melt like wax. They shall become molten and flow down into the valleys below. The very earth itself, as now constituted, shall be dissolved. All things shall burn with fervent heat, and out of it shall come new heavens and a new earth, whereon dwelleth righteousness. It is of these things, and they, above all else, show the literature show the literal nature of the burning fires that shall attend that dreadful day. It is of them that we must make now make mention. Fervent heat, what is it? It is hot glowing heat. The word itself comes from the Latin verb fervir, meaning to boil or to glow. It is the heat of which our revelation alluding to a prophecy of Isaiah says, The presence of the Lord shall be as the melting fire that burneth in it, and the fire which causeth the, the waters to boil. There has yet been no heat on earth of such extent and intensity that could melt the very planet itself. Such is reserved for the day of the burning. And that's from Elder McConkie. And so we, we can uh, we know that the that the fire that will occur during the second coming will be so hot that it will actually melt the melt the mountains and boil the seas, and uh, so how are we to survive that? Uh, those that are at least terrestrial will will have terrestrial bodies that they will be um, become translated that no nothing can harm them. They will be similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace and were unharmed. 
It will also be like Lehi and Nephi that were in a fire um, in the prison and, and came out okay. Um, and that is because that their bodies will have been changed to a terrestrial body. Uh, and so our, we will be as if we were translated beings, uh, living still mortals here upon the earth as we, uh, as we live during the millennium. I bear testimony that these things are true and, uh, and that the words of Isaiah are great and that uh, we should observe them and understand them better. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come back next week. We'll see you then. Bye.